Hello, and welcome to the BNP Paribas Asset Management Talking Heads podcast. Every week, Talking Heads will bring you in-depth insights and analysis through the lens of sustainability on the topics that really matter to investors. In this episode, we'll be discussing food security. I'm Daniel Morris, Chief Market Strategist, and I'm joined by Agne Rakauskaita, Portfolio Manager at Impacts Asset Management. Welcome back, Agne, and thanks for joining me. Hi, Daniel. Thank you very much, and it's really good to be back. Of course, there's been massive impacts with the war in Ukraine on, on well, certainly on, on the countries involved and also on economies, on markets and on commodity prices. And, and we're all uh, dealing with the impacts in terms of inflation, central banks struggling uh, to, to slow down growth, frankly, to get inflation back down to target. Uh, it's increased focus on energy security. Uh, certainly in Europe, and and emphasize even further the need for energy transition. So not only carbon neutral sources of energy, but domestic sources when at all possible. In all of this, perhaps we've lost sight of one of the other big impacts that we had at the beginning, which was uh, the reduction in food exports, particularly from Ukraine, but also from Russia, and then the impact that that had on agricultural prices. But uh, as I'm sure you know, uh, that's still very much a pertinent topic, perhaps. And you could tell us why, uh, besides energy security, food security uh, has been in the news a lot lately. And why is that still so important? I agree. It's really topical at the moment. I see food security in the news almost every day. If you live in the UK, for example, you probably will have seen the recent headlines on shortages of fresh fruit and veg where some supermarkets in the UK have even announced that they'll be putting limits in place on how many cucumbers and tomatoes you can buy, for example. And this is predominantly because growers in the UK have been forced to stop running their greenhouses because of high energy costs. But the broader topic of food security has also been rising in importance for a number of years. And the reason for that, as you say, is that we've had several different factors converge over the last couple of years, which have exacerbated the problem of food security. So starting with COVID, which highlighted certain fragilities of the food and ag supply chain. This was then followed by the war in Ukraine, which really disrupted the production and flow of ag commodities, not just the grains and oil seeds, but inputs like fertilizers and animal feed and fuel. And then on top of that, you've got increasingly extreme weather events, which have been also affecting crop yields. So then if we unpick each one of these in turn, With COVID, when COVID first emerged, many slaughterhouses and meat processing plants were forced to shut because they became COVID hotspots. We saw this all over the globe, although the impact was most severe in the US. And this happened for a few reasons. The environments are closed, they're biosecure, where the air is recirculated. So it's really a perfect environment for for a virus to spread. The processing of pork and cattle is not very mechanized, which means that you have long production lines which are crowded with people standing shoulder to shoulder. Again, just that perfect environment for the spread of a virus. At the peak, utilization rates across the industry were down 35 to 40 percent. And and all of this led to shortages of products on supermarket shelves. Then more recently, the war in Ukraine has also been leading to shortages of crops and agricultural inputs because Russia and Ukraine are major exporters of grain like wheat and corn, um, as well as oil seeds and fertilizer. As well as shortages of grains, we've also seen lower crop yields across the globe because of lower application of fertilizer, because at the peak, fertilizer prices were up about 200% compared to pre-COVID levels. The impact of fertilizer price spikes is being felt to this day, actually. 
Last summer, when fertilizer prices were peaking, producers that could afford it were stockpiling, whereas those producers in lower income regions were actually forced to go without. According to Bloomberg, even though fertilizer prices are now down 50% versus last year's peak, farmers in Southeast Asia and Africa are still more exposed compared to those producers in North America, China or India. The African Development Bank estimated that the drop in fertilizer use is going to lead to a 20% drop in food production in that region. And climate change, of course, is another major, almost existential, I would say, threat to agribusiness. Climatic shocks and extreme weather are double what they used to be 20 years ago. And this has all meant that in many geographies, the agricultural regions have either changed or shrunk altogether, ultimately leading to lower yields for farmers. So I think I'll just finish by saying that, yes, food security is an increasing concern. It's more in the news now and it's being driven by more extreme weather as well as supply chain disruptions brought about by COVID and the war in Ukraine. That's a pretty long and exhaustive list of things uh, that are impacting food production, food security, uh, clearly in a negative way. Uh, then, of course, we have to think about what are some of the ways that we can address this. So of all the topics that you raise, what are some of the implications then uh, for how we go about producing food? Well, first of all, let's take a step back and talk about what we mean by food security. And the World Bank has a really helpful definition for food security. It really highlights that it's not just about having sufficient access to food, but also ensuring that the food is both safe and nutritious. And I think this is really important to remember when we're having this conversation, because simply increasing production of food through conventional methods isn't necessarily the answer to food insecurity, um, and that, you know, we've got to think more holistically. Unfortunately, I can't say that I have a great answer either. I don't think that there is a silver bullet, um, you know, or some sort of a solution to tackle both broad access to food, while at the same time solving the problem of quality and, and nutrient content, which, by the way, has been on a long-term decline. Um, the, the Food and Agriculture Organization recently published a report on the state of food security and nutrition for 22, and the data is quite bleak, unfortunately. The report suggests that during the pandemic, the number of people unable to afford a healthy diet rose by 112 million to almost 3.1 billion, basically reflecting the impacts of rising food prices. And the impact was mainly felt by people in Asia as well as Africa. The previous year's report highlighted some possible solutions to transforming agri-food systems to make them more resilient to external shocks, but the reality proved to be a bit more difficult. With global economic growth for 22 revised down, the resources to invest in agri-food systems were a bit more limited. Government support for food and agriculture accounts for about $630 billion per year, but the support mostly concentrates on staple foods as well as dairy and other animal proteins, especially in high-income countries. Rice, sugar and meats are the most incentivized worldwide, whereas fruits and vegetables are a lot less supported. And in some countries, it's actually they're even penalized. A pretty long list of challenges. What are some of the responses that you expect either from governments or individuals or companies? And what do we think or what do you expect can happen now? Well, food security is of a particular concern to countries which are heavily dependent on imports for both their food as well as agri-inputs such as fertilizer and feed. And so the response that we've seen from government so far is rising food protectionism. And I expect that that will continue and possibly even increase in the future. In the weeks following Russia's invasion of Ukraine in February of last year, several countries introduced export restrictions on various feed and food products. 
At the peak, in May, almost 17% of global food and feed exports were affected by these measures. For example, back in April, we saw Indonesia ban export of palm oil in order to increase supplies domestically and to protect domestic consumers from inflation. Indonesia represents about 50% of global demand for palm oil, so the impact was quite significant. India then followed suit and restricted exports of sugar and wheat. And although these measures are short-term in nature, they can have quite long-lasting impacts on buying behaviour. As well as protectionism, we're also seeing trends towards nearshoring and reshoring. And now that may work well for some wealthier countries. It's not going to work, for example, for the majority of people in Africa. They don't have the climate or the resources for large-scale domestic production. There have been some small-scale examples, however. Some countries in the Middle East have begun investing in technologies like precision fermentation to become less dependent on imports. Another example is Singapore, who has begun to invest in cultured meat. In 2020, Singapore became the first country in the world to authorize the sale of lab-grown meat. Lab-grown meat, otherwise known as cell-based meat, is grown in a bioreactor and is produced from actual animal cells. The benefits are that it doesn't require animals to be killed, it's less environmentally damaging, and doesn't require the use of antibiotics, and it also is able to offer better food security. So for a country like Singapore, a small nation that imports about 90% of its food, investments in agri-tech are key to ensuring food security. So in sum, after the major disruptions that we've seen to agri-food systems, governments have responded by introducing export restrictions on staple food commodities to protect their domestic consumers, but other responses that we've seen is governments investing in technologies to become less dependent on imports. You mentioned agritech, and I think in general, when ultimately we're looking at this from the point of view of an investor, uh, at the same time that we have the challenges, that's what's going to be creating the opportunities. So where do you see the opportunities for investors as companies try to come up with solutions to the problems that you listed? Well, unfortunately, there's no easy solution to solving global food insecurity. But although there may not be a single silver bullet, the good news is that there are lots of different solutions along all parts of the food and ag value chain to help address this really important issue. There are a few interesting technology opportunities, but their overall impact can be quite limited. Take, for example, vertical farming. Vertical farming is a fairly novel solution. It's very promising for certain categories of small crop, for example, herbs and leafy greens. But for large-scale farming, like grains, there isn't really as much promise when you consider the economics. To really achieve impact on a larger scale, it's often best to look for simpler solutions. And one area where we can have significant impact is on supply chains and logistics. For example, grain handling equipment and cold chain storage, as well as precision agriculture technology, which can help farmers with decisions like when to irrigate, when to harvest. It can also help them with flood detection. It essentially helps to lower spoilage of crops on farms. By reducing these losses in the supply chain, we're ensuring that more food reaches the end consumer. And that takes me to another really important point, which is food waste. This is a major challenge that should be addressed when we're thinking about solutions to food insecurity. About a third of all food that we produce is wasted. And this could be crops rotting on farms. It could be food that gets damaged during transportation or food that is thrown away by supermarkets or by consumers. We're all consuming a lot more fresh food, a lot more food on the go. And those types of food are more perishable and tend to have a shorter shelf life, which leads to higher wastage rates. But the good news is that there are plenty of opportunities to reduce food waste across the whole uh, across the whole chain, as well as logistics. There are solutions in natural food ingredients, which help to extend shelf life of highly perishable foods. 
We're actually about to publish an article on this very topic, which will be accessible on the BNP Viewpoint website soon. And then finally, as I mentioned earlier, food security isn't just about improving the access and affordability of foods. Nutritional content is also a really important piece. And here it gets a bit more tricky because producing better quality, more sustainable food is more expensive and farmers need to be incentivized to ensure that farming practices become more sustainable. And that means that prices for food would need to go up. And it's very easy for us to sit here and talk about paying more for, you know, for more sustainable food when we can afford it. But the challenge is ensuring that we're able to produce more nutritious food at scale. And for that transition to really accelerate, I believe we'll need to see some government incentives. And the question now is, you know, can governments keep sustainability on the agenda when their priority is to make sure that the poor populations are able to afford stable foods? I think I'll just finish by saying that the solutions to food insecurity are not at all straightforward. There are some really interesting novel solutions, but to really achieve impact, it's best to focus on some better established solutions like logistics. Thank you very much, Agne. If I can summarize some of the, the key points, you highlighted number one, just how topical this issue is in the papers recently because of high energy costs limiting the production of fruit and veg, which is something we all see when we go into the shops. Uh, but just over the last couple of years, we've had COVID, of course, the war in Ukraine, and more broadly, climate change, all impacting the production and the cost of food. Uh, you highlighted, I think, very importantly how when we think about food security, it's not just simply producing more food or necessarily just making it more accessible. We also need to think about safety. We need to think about nutrition uh, and all the challenges that that entails when governments on one hand, of course, want to make more food available at a cheap price, but on the other hand, needing to have it produced sustainably uh, and nutritiously. If we think about solutions, you highlighted that on one hand, there's novel and exciting technology around agritech and vertical farming, uh, but there's also perhaps some of the old, more prosaic solutions that we need to look at, improving supply chains, uh, better logistics, and reducing food waste. Well, Agne, thank you very much for joining me. Thank you, Daniel. It's always a pleasure. That's it for this week's episode of Talking Heads. If you would like more information, please reach out to your BNP Paribas Asset Management contact or check out Viewpoint, our website for investment insights at viewpoint.bnpparibas-am.com. If you like Talking Heads, leave us a positive review and a nice rating. We recommend subscribing to Talking Heads on your favorite podcast channel. You'll receive your podcast episodes every Monday afternoon. You've been listening to the BNP Paribas Asset Management Talking Heads podcast with me, Daniel Morris, and Agne Rockhouse-Kaita. Please do join me next week. Until then, take care. This podcast presentation includes a discussion on current market events and is not intended as investment advice or an offer of products or services by BNP Paribas Asset Management. Please keep in mind that the information and analysis in this presentation is only current as of the publication date.